Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. What's yeah, up, everybody? I'm... Welcome to another episode of Turn on the Jets Live. I'm your host, Steven Zanch, joined by my co-host, Steven Russo. Tonight, we're joined by a Twitter personality that I've been interacting with basically since I joined TOG, Leo Valentin. He hosts a show on his own YouTube channel called Breaking Balls, where he likes you know, talk about different comedy topics with his sports teams, specifically the Jets, and I know the Knicks as well. What's up, Lee? It's good to have you on, man, and we love your background. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It's good to be here. Thanks for for having me on, man. I wanted to make this like a an official press conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, awesome. we love it. We love yeah. it. So, uh, Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're, we're we're pumped to have you on here. I think uh, you know, no secret, we're going to get started with uh, the recent news uh, in Jets world, which is Marcus May. Uh, so, news kind of broke yesterday that uh, it looks like the sides won't come to an de- to a deal. Uh, Joe Douglas kind of drawing that hard line in the sand again, and uh, and Marcus May is probably going to play this year under the franchise tag. But um, not what Marcus May wanted, obviously, but just wanted to get your thoughts on it, Lee. What are you thinking? You know, I think he's franchised. He's got the franchise franchise tag left. I think, you know, there's no real rush to to sign him. You know, he had a tremendous season last year, and. Uh, you know, we want to see what he can do this year. You know, there was some previous years where he was hurt a lot. He missed a lot of games. He's a 28-year-old safety. You know, even though he was the best defensive player on the team last year, you know, we already know what what Joe Douglas is about, right? And we kind of respect, especially over this last, you know, this last draft and, and free agency, we and him trading uh, Jamal Adams last year, we kind of know what his M.O. is. So I'm... I'm okay with trusting, you know, his decisions and stuff like that. So, you know, we'll see what Marcus May can do this year and hopefully they can get that cleaned up and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And that's, that's just a part of the game, right? It's, it's, it's the business side and, you know, maybe his agent isn't happy, but, you Mm -hmm. know, if he performs, he's definitely going to get paid. Steven, what do you think? Yeah. So I got a lot of thoughts here. So this might be my longest rant since we started the show. So, I'm, I'm objective typically when it comes to things with the team. Obviously, there's certain times I'm going to be biased. So when it comes to Marcus May, I understand both sides to this. I understand, you know, he's he's probably the, one of the best players on the team. I wouldn't say he's the best. He's probably in, within the top five, top seven guys on the team. 
And I understand, you know, he doesn't play a premium position. We've had this conversation about Jamal Adams. So it's really tough to, you know, justify paying a premium for a position that's not necessarily impacting winning. But to me, when you're building a winning football team, these are the areas that you need to prioritize when it comes to your assets. It's protecting the quarterback, which Joe Douglas has done. So offensive line, getting weapons for the quarterback, with the exception of running back, because typically the shelf life isn't very long, but receivers, tight ends and, and whatnot the quarterback because you know it's the most important position most important position in sports and then also containing and stopping the quarterback as well as sacking the quarterback so corners who are the ones defending the receivers and then obviously defensive line but specifically guys who actually produce sacks and quarterback pressures so Marcus May unfortunately does not fall into any of those categories and I know he's a good player I know he could do things in the back end I know he you know made some plays last year he's been relatively a good jet since we drafted him in 2017 but I don't really see a way you can justify giving him $14 million a year, what he's looking for. If he lowers his price down between 10 and 11, I'm okay with that. But for me, I think it just depends on the price, depends on the longevity of the deal. And obviously the guarantees, because realistically, if he signs a five-year deal, it's probably going to be three years with an op with an out after the third year. So for me, that's okay. But when I look at it this way, it's like, I see why there are negatives to not re-signing him. I get it. We haven't really locked up a player that we've drafted in a long time. But you have to remember, Joe Douglas did not take Marcus May. I know he's, you know, said all his praises and everything like that, but it's not his guy. So I kind of understand if, you know, I inherited this guy. He wasn't someone I would have used a second round pick on. It's not a premium position, which is kind of crazy. We took a safety back to back, back to back picks, which is nuts. So to me, it depends on the tag. But, you know, the Jets have the leverage here. He's signed his franchise tag. He literally cannot do anything. He either plays or he gets fined. So I think it's wait and see. And if you could come to a middle ground in terms of like the deal, maybe $11 million over four or five years, I'm fine with it. But for me, I think you should just play it out, see how he does, stays healthy, because he is older for a player who only has four years of service time in the NFL. I mean, he's pushing 30. So I think it's a little crazy to lock him up. But, you know, if he stays healthy and is productive, then I could see the argument to actually doing it. What do you think, Stephen? I know that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, you unpacked a lot there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I um, I think you guys both bring up good points. I think, um, you know, first of all, I'd like I'd like to say I like Marcus May the player. He is yeah. a he's a good player. And, you know, the part of me that says they should have come to a deal is the part that looks at the Jets secondary as a whole and says, well, they could continue to use a player of Marcus May's caliber. But he's 28. I think, and let me back up a second too, because I think the the reliability concerns are a little bit overblown because really the only time he's missed really considerable time is 2018. Every every other year he's been reasonably healthy there. But I think this is Joe Douglas's MO and, and you guys both bring up good points and Joe, we trust. I mean, he's done this with Jameson Crowder where he sets a value on a guy and that's what he sticks to. And I think that says a lot. I also think in terms of his positional hierarchy and where he puts value, safety's just not there. We saw it with Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is a better player than Marcus May is. And, you know, he shipped them off. He's not going to get that return for Marcus May. But I think this is a smart move on the Jets' part, a smart move on Joe Douglas's part. And I don't want to, you know, we shouldn't overblow this and think that it's just dead in the water. Marcus May is still going to play this year under the, under the franchise tag. If he plays lights out, then he could still be a Jet come 2022. We don't know that. So I think this is a smart move. I think the worst thing that I would have – wanted to see was them extend him to an unreasonable deal where they completely overpaid and lock into an aging player at a non-premium position. And then the, those reliability concerns come in and rear their ugly heads. So I think overall, this was probably, you know, outside of signing him to a lower uh, money deal, um, team-friendly deal, this was probably the best case scenario here. You bring up an interesting point, And I, I mentioned this to a few people. Think about CJ Mosley. I think that, you know, Joe Douglas sees firsthand 
that's not a premium position. We were paying $19 million the first two years of that contract. I know obviously he opted out, so we didn't pay him full, but it was like deferred to this year or something like that. But the point is, is that he isn't, he isn't the kind of guy who's going to impact the game. Granted, CJ Mosley in his prime is a lot better than anything Marcus May has ever done. You know, he was like the leader of the Ravens defense, you know, playoff teams was like, you know, he was leading them in tackles, I think for like five straight years. Don't quote me on that. But I just think that it, you just look at that contract as an example of something you don't want to lock yourself into because realistically, if Joe Douglas was able to get off that contract this offseason, he probably would have, but no one was absorbing it. So mm-hmm. I think CJ Mosley obviously is on the team this year. Maybe they renegotiate, but I don't think they want to be in position with Marcus May where they're overpaying for a guy who's an okay player. And, you know, he's going to be on the wrong side of 30 within a year and a half. So there's, I see it for both sides. Lee, anything on our, either of our POVs here? No, I think, I think you guys are both correct. I, that's probably why, you know, we always say that the GM is not attached to the quarterback that he didn't draft. And we just saw that. Right. So in fairness to Joe, I know we want to, this is not setting a precedence like a bad example or a precedence that he just doesn't re-sign good players. He hasn't had a chance to re-sign any players that he's drafted or that he's tied to, right? So we can let that argument go. It's not the same old Jets. It's not the same old regime, right? So mm-hmm. if we're going to say he doesn't, uh, you know, he's not not uh, tied to Sam Darnold or he can get rid of him, that's not his guy, we can say the same thing for Marcus May, Right. We bought in a stopgap, you know, LaMarcus Joyner or, you know, Ashton Davis, whom he drafted last year. I think when we get into the the next few years, if there's guys that are coming up on contracts, we can probably say that again. But right now we can't say that, you know, he's not going to sign the guys that he's tied to or that he's drafted. You know, so and and, you know, I, I think. Like you said, it's kind of overblown the uh, the him being hurt and stuff like that. And I think scheme wise, Robert Sala, you know, and and the DC are gonna find a way. We we're within that cornerback, within on the back end, but we upgraded the D line, and we're gonna be able to get to the quarterback with Carl mm-hmm. Carl Lawson, right? So I think you can scheme around, you know, maybe some inefficient corners, right? With with and, and then, you know, he's built the team from the interior out, right? So this is only his second draft, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe next year we'll see some some cornerbacks and some safeties in later rounds and good players like that. But you you can't turn around the whole team, you know, in in two years. You know, he's barely been here two years. So yeah. I think yeah. we need to give him time. And, the you know, as long as Marcus May is on the field, you know, he's probably paying for that, that next deal. And I think we can franchise him again next year, yeah. which, you know, that's probably something that they're going to have to bring up to the, you know, in, in the next bargaining agreement with the union and stuff like that about the franchise tag. But, you know, it's he signed the deal. So let him play it out and we'll see what mm-hmm. happens. And we, we do this again next year. Yeah, there's there's no question. I think Joe Douglas is looking at the long game here. I mean, when he signed this deal, the six year deal, you know, that he's got and we had Bob Shusen on last week that said that. I mean, he knew the task ahead. So he's not going to commit himself to a player that he's either got questions on or or overcommit financially uh, to jeopardize that future that he's still building towards. I mean, there's no question that Joe Douglas wants to succeed in 2021, but he's still looking at years ahead, too. So I think the real test and, and lead to your point is. Uh, you come next season or, or the year after with Quinn and Williams, and we'll see if I mean, if he makes the jump that we all expect him to make in, in this year, you know, 2021, 
then extending him, you know, that's going to be a real test because, you know, that's not his player. He didn't draft him, but that's going to be something that uh, that's going to have to get done. So that'll be the real test for, uh, for Joe Douglas to see if he really, you know, uh, is only resigning his homegrown talent. Yeah. I'm willing to bet Quinn gets a second contract with the Jets. Absolutely. I am willing to bet that provided he doesn't have a, you know, career threatening injury or any legal yep. issues, he is yep. getting a second contract with the Jets. I'm willing Absolutely. to bet on that. But yeah. As long as as long as he doesn't start tweeting his unhappiness and <laughs> dancing with cigars and stuff like that, he'll be fine. Oh my. Uh, he's, yeah. he's he's a gentle giant. He's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Love Quinnen. But Lee, so I know you were mentioned to us before we started going live here that you're definitely a more optimistic Jets fan. So, you know, moving away from Gase and into Salah's era, I think has definitely made us all optimistic, including myself, who's been pessimistic basically since the minute Gase was hired until he was fired. So, you know, what's something about Gase that you really disliked? And there's a lot of things, but maybe something that, you know, caught your eye over the two years that you're hoping that Salah does not do. So it could be anything between the way he was handling himself, you know, the way he's managing the game. Just kind of curious your thoughts here. And Stephen, obviously, I want to defer to you there as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a number of things. But I think the most important thing that Salah brings that Gase didn't have is he doesn't have the player's ear. Like, players are willing to run through a brick wall for Salah, right? And and those are things that we saw with Rex Ryan, with, with Herm Edwards and guys like that, you know? So you don't... Salah may, may not be... He's a master motivator, right? And that's what you need as a head coach. You allow your OC and your DC, you know, with the X's and O's and you allow them to do their job. But you have to have players that are willing to work for you and willing to do the things that are necessary to win. All of the little things, right? Showing up to practice on time, you know, getting in your reps, you know, uh, doing all the small things that it takes for a team to be successful. And I think with Salah, that's the thing that, is going to get this team over the hump, right? And I think, you know, more than anything, everybody knew that Gase wasn't the guy from the moment he was hired, right? Mm -hmm. But we know that Salah is the guy that everybody wanted, that we wanted to see, and we want him to succeed here, and him and Joe Douglas are on the same page. So in a long-winded answer to your question, I think the fact that Adam Gase didn't have the, the players' hearts and ears you know what I'm saying? You you have to be willing to do what it takes. You know, if you're if you're, uh, you know, I know Frank Gore is a little bit older, but he was willing to, you know, do whatever it took to win because he's a veteran. Right. But you have to get that from the young guys. You have to get their that you have to get their attention. And you have to have them play for you, have them play with heart and, and be in it all the time. Yeah. Great point. Stephen, what do you think? Well said, and I'll kind of build off of that. So I think the way that Robert Sala has gotten the ears of the players and the hearts of the players is that, A, he's a leader of men, but he, he's coming here and he's established an identity immediately. Um, all gas, no break, which, Stephen, we're still waiting on the T-shirts here at Jet Shop, but we'll see when they come out. But So that's, I think, the biggest difference for me because I watched an Adam Gase offense for two years with the Jets and for three years with Miami. I still couldn't tell you what that identity is. I have no idea, aside from running up the middle on second and 12. I don't know what that identity was. Um, screen, I think, screen you know, yeah, it's it it's it was painful to watch, and I still I, I really just don't know what he was really planning to do. So, um, Salah coming in here and immediately establishing that identity, and we saw it in the you know the flight twenty twenty one episodes where he he said it in his interview, 
we're going to be the team that nobody wants to play. You're going to have to deal with us for all 60 minutes, our speed, our aggressiveness, all that. And he came in with the all gas, no break mentality. And that's his mantra. And that's what this team is going to have. It's going to have his identity, his footprint all over it. That's what I'm most excited for. He's building this thing his way. And we can look at that. And I, you know, you can say that's their identity. I mean, and you know, Lee, to your point, Rex was the same way. You knew they were going to be a tough football team that was going to hit you in the mouth that nobody wanted to play. So establishing that, that's really what's got me most excited following two years of Adam Gase. Let me just say flight 2021, I was ready to put on the pads. (laughs) <laughs> that <was> phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. that, what a phenomenal show. And I'll probably Absolutely. watch it again after this and maybe shed a tear of how happy I am. You know what I'm <laughs> well, what's exciting is we're getting also one Jets drive. I didn't mm-hmm. think we were going to be getting that because I thought Flight 2021 20, was basically going to be this year's version of one Jets drive. So the fact that we're getting that in about like, you know, a month or so, that's awesome. And I feel like we're going to see, you know, even more of Salah that we're really looking to see, especially, you know, when practice isn't happening, you know, how he's reacting. But for me, it's his ability to learn and defer, like you, like you kind of mentioned, Lee and Steven. I just like like that he's gonna trust his coordinators. And like when you're watching Mike LaFleur break down the scheme and what he's looking for and what he's trying to execute, same thing with um Obrecht. I never can say his name right because it's kind of hard to say, but it's just they they're literally going to get be have full autonomy to do what they want to do. I know obviously they're gonna run things by Sal, especially when it comes to game planning, depending on the opponent and everything like that. But he just seems like the coach who's going to let his coordinators do their thing. And he's going to manage and be the CEO of the team. Right. We haven't had that. Like, as much as I loved Rex, he ran the defense. He had the yep. CEO mentality, but he didn't touch the offense. He Correct. wasn't – but he, and he was way too involved with the defensive play calls. Like, I know Petten was his guy, but he was probably calling the plays. I don't think Petten mm-hmm. was ever really calling the plays. Right. So, for me, I just like that he's going to let them do their jobs. And I'm sure he's going to let Brant Boyer do his job as well because – he survived three regimes, which I'm, you know, it means he can coach. And I definitely think he's a good coordinator on special teams. But yeah, I'm just excited to see this, this new, like, you know, layout of a coaching staff because we have a lot of good young coaches on this staff. Miles Austin's my favorite one. I bet you he's an offensive coordinator within five years. You heard that here first. That's my bold take. (laughs) That's a bold take. I'm just saying, I think, I think he's going to, the receivers are going to develop nicely in this scheme. And I think that he's going to, unfortunately, I think he's going to get poached away for a better opportunity one day. So I'm excited. And I just think there's a lot to be optimistic about. We may not see it in wins and losses, but I think, you know, they're just going to be a tough team every week. And Mm -hmm. I think they're just going to be really exciting and fun to watch where last year was miserable. (laughs) Yeah. I think I didn't want to, I didn't want to last year root for the team to lose, but after we got to like, Oh, and seven, I was like, Oh, this could happen. You know, and the and the Trevor Lawrence thing started coming mm-hmm. up, and then we won that fluke game against LA, and you know it was all downhill from there. But uh, when you said uh, the the special teams coach getting uh, get, surviving three regimes, I'm like, I, I kind of wish we had Mike Westoff still. Yeah, we were at our best when we had um, you know special teams when the team. You know, when that unit is clicking, man, it's hard to beat any team because I think football is about you know. Um, you know, timing and and maybe like change of pace or whatever it is, like a big play from the special teams can spark a team, basically. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to have him. And really, our punter was, our, or Braden Mann was the best player on the team last year, probably. He made some spectacular tackles, right? He was he was fantastic last year. But yeah, I, I and that to my my point is, 
you know, having, I want to see consistency from this team, yeah. right? So I want Joe Douglas to get a second contract. You know, I want to see Salah here for years, right? The, the, the good teams in the league or the special uh, teams in this league have longevity and they have consistency, right? So if you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers with Mike Tomlin, you know, he's been there forever. They may have some down years, but they have an identity, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I, I think we're going towards and I hope it continues, you know, and, and even with, like you said, OC and DC, right? They, they may, LaFleur may get a job, you know, as a head coach or something like that, maybe depending on how he does, the DC may get a head coaching job at some point or an offer at some point, but, you know, to have the same guys, you know, year in and year out, and you know, you're going to be there is I think important for this team. Definitely. So Lee, you bring up two really good points. So first of all, yeah, if, if Jeff Ulbrich or Mike LaFleur get offers to be a head coach, then I think all Jets fans are going to be happy that the offense or defense was good enough to warrant a coordinator getting hired to be a head coach. Yeah, yeah. The second thing is, you know, you bring up Mike Westhoff, which is such a good point. I mean, he was hands down Amazing. the best special teams coordinator in the yeah. game when he was there, if not the best one ever, which I know we've brought up on the show before. But you think it, you kind of equate it to, you know, how good the offensive line was the years that uh, uh, DeBrickashaw and, and Nick Mangold were there. Yeah. And then how you realize how much you miss them now that we've gone right. through the last five years that we've right. gone through. Think about the the players that uh, Westhoff groomed to be as good and game-changing players on the special team side, from Justin Miller to Leon Washington, Leon Washington to Brad Smith, Brad Smith yeah. Joe McKnight. Yeah. I mean, think about like how – yeah, seriously. But think about how many, uh, how many good game-changing players that we had on special teams that yeah. were under the tutelage of, of Mike Westhoff. I mean, right. Stephen, I know a couple of weeks ago you brought up the – player Leon Washington, you know, fielded a kickoff with his foot out of bounds because he knew that that was, that's, that is hundred percent smart. Yeah. So um, it's such a good point to bring up. And uh, I, I think that, uh, that Sal is building the staff that will have us being, you know, uh, excited about that again, and maybe getting looks at, uh, at being a head coach out of one of them. I'm so excited. Leon's on the staff too. I can't, yeah. I, he's one of my favorite jets of all time. I know, obviously he was just, you know, exciting and electric and, you know, hopefully we can find that type of player again in the return game. Cause like you said, when Westhoff was coordinating those special team units, we always had great field position. The, whoever was returning back there always had plenty of room to get to the 30-yard line at the minimum. Like we oh, And that matters because we've always just had terrible field position, basically dating back to you know probably the end of Rex's tenure with throughout Bowles' tenure, maybe with the exception of 2015, and obviously with Gase because we just – yeah, other than I guess with Andre Roberts, because Andre Roberts was actually awesome that one. He's year. an awesome player. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. was. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal, right? It's it's the small things in the game that make a big difference. Like if you're starting from the 30-35, that puts so much pressure mm -hmm. on on the other team, right? And even if you're not, you know, even if you're you're getting 10, 15 yards, you know, in in a possession, you're not three and out, right? If you're you know, if they're starting between the 20 and the 10 yard line every time they get the ball, you know, it makes it so much easier for the rest of the game. You know, they they have to change their play calls. You know, there's more there's more pressure on the offense to protect the quarterback. Right. They can't let it fly the you know, the way they can if they have more better field position. So all of those things are important within the game of football. So, yeah. you know, having this guy who's a tremendous coach, you know, is 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 good for the team. Yeah, I love this Mike Westhoff appreciation moment. It's, <laughs> it's great. He he almost got the job in 2009. It was between him and Rex. So yeah. who knows? I mean, Rex was fun. So we can't really ever say like that. And I love Rex forever. I Met him once. Super nice guy. Yeah. Just um, glad that he stayed on, that Westhoff stayed on staff. 
Yeah, no, that was yeah. great. I mean, yeah. he. I think they probably thought he might have been a little too old to take the job. I mean, I mean, Bruce Arians took a head coaching job at a pretty old age, but mm-hmm. that sometimes factors into things. Why they, you know, especially the NFL skewing towards younger coaches. You sure. know, look at Sean McVay, look at Joe Judge, and everything like that. But yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited about this staff, and I'm just hoping, you know, like we don't have to listen to those absurd takes. Oh my God, like it's, it's we're gonna, we shouldn't hire Michael Floor because we're gonna get him poached away in two years. That's like a dream. Yeah. No one has been poached away from our staff as long as I can remember. Maybe yeah. like when Mangini was here. I don't even know. No one was poached off Rex staff, which is actually kind of surprising. <laughs> I know it. It's yeah. it's kind of hard watching guys leave us and then become, you know, Super Bowl winning. Like Schottenheimer might have been awful here, but he oh was this great, you know, offensive yeah. coordinator with, with the Seahawks and stuff like that. And I'm sure there's others, but... You know, one of those, a couple of those guys come to mind where they leave here and all of a sudden, you know, they're winning championships. But one thing I wanted to say, too, is that, you know, with the Marcus May thing, right, like in terms of the Jets and and um, and just not re-signing players or letting go some of their best players, you know, I I hate to make the comparison, but Belichick does the same thing, right? He's he brings guys to fit in his system. And if they if, you know, they're in a contract year and they might be too expensive, Kraft and him are like, well, we'll just find somebody else to fit the system. And what Mm -hmm. I don't understand is why, you know, it's okay for them to do it. But as soon as the Jets do it, it's a big issue. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I have the answer to that question. It's a business. It's a business. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he has, yeah, they have 22 championships to our negative <laughs> one. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But, but no, it's it's fair. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he does it all the time. And you know, I remember they did that whole piece on Sports Center like years back about basically every guy when they had that moment when Bill was just like, yeah, I don't want you here anymore. And mm-hmm. like how these guys who were star players, you know, contribute to championships for him, whether the early 2000s and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a really humbling experience for NFL players. But like you're, that's a great point, Lee. And I feel like it's not talked about enough, but we, we know why. It's just because Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's a business and if you're not producing or, you, or there's no value for that, teams are going to do what they need to do to maximize the assets on the roster and the capital that they have to spend and also mm-hmm. from a draft pick perspective. So, yeah, no, I love that point, and I think we should start hammering it home a lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, Bill, what, what would Bill do instead of what yeah. would Jesus do? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this has been good. No, that's a, it's a great point. I'll, I'll, I want to transition a little bit. So Lee, obviously, you know, you mentioned your optimism for this season. Steven and I have been talking about it for the first uh, 10 episodes on the show. But so if we were to be objective and realistically say, if you guys had to pick one player on this team that you think is going to have a pro bowl or all pro year, who would you say? Oh, that's tough, man. You know, you want all the guys to have their best year, but I think, you know, probably CJ Mosley, you know, who's going to be all over the field. He's an all pro. He's, you know, one of their best players. So, you know, I'm expecting him to be flying around at the ball. He hasn't played in a couple of years. Hopefully he stays on the field. You know, that first game when he was, when, when that, that first year that he got signed, he was electric. Right. And so that's kind of like what I'm expecting to see throughout the year. And once the team starts winning, because again, I'm optimistic, once the team is winning games, you know, these guys get more confidence and you'll see them play to a level that, you know, 
some of our best players should be playing to. So I think C.J. Mosley probably is that guy. The greatest two-and-a-half quarter performance we've all witnessed. <laughs> right? Yeah. I got my money's worth. I was there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, for me, I mean, I'm actually surprised that Lee didn't touch on any of the guys I was considering. I was going to be trying to be unique depending on who he said, but, I mean, to me, I think it's Carl Lawson. I think that this guy is only scratching the surface of what he can really do. And I, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but like he was like second in the NFL in terms of quarterback hits behind like TJ Watt. So to me, whether he was actually getting the sacks or not is irrelevant. He gets into the backfield. I know health has been a concern for him in his career, but he was relatively healthy, I believe, last season. So I, I think he's, you know, he's in his prime. He's 25 years old. I think this scheme is going to benefit him. He's going to be playing with a guy like Quinn and Williams. He's playing yes. with a guy like Sheldon Rankins. It's only going to open up those opportunities. I mean, Quinnen, I think, is a great candidate as well. I mean, to me, he was a pro bowler last year. I mean, once mm-hmm. once we hit that, that San Francisco game week two, that man was literally – I was like, wow, he finally had that moment because as a rookie, we all were just like, is this just like another wasted defensive line pick? I know he had that one play against the Cowboys when they went for on fourth down and he had like a tackle for a loss on Dak. And that was like the highlight of his rookie season. But (laughs) last year he really opened our eyes. He was in better shape. I think, you know, he, you know, he really just was more seasoned. I think he was just ready to go. And now that he actually has a better defensive coordinator and, and, you know, also head coach and solid because I was at the defensive lines, his specialty. I think those two are the the prime candidates, but I'm going to lean Carl Lawson just solely because I think this scheme is really going to help open him up and he's he could flirt with like 12 to 13 sacks. I know that's a lot to say, but I think Salah's, yeah. Salah's defensive scheme is definitely something that can make this happen. So I'm really excited for him. Yeah, that's no, awesome. I um I like both your answers. Honestly, Lee, I had CJ Mosley in the holster because I do, depending on who <laughs> you guys said, that's who I was going to go with because I do think he's primed for a comeback year and I think he's got a chip on his shoulder just based on what people are saying about and and it was the greatest two and a half quarters we've ever seen. So I think we're going to see more <laughs> of that coming in, in 21. Uh, Steven, you bring up good points. I think Quinn Williams is a, obviously a, a great candidate considering the signing of Carl Lawson, considering Sheldon Rankins, and then another guy, John Franklin Myers on the other side too, oh, who yeah. I think we're expecting big things out yeah. of. So you can only block so many of them, you know, and I think that'll yep. free Quinn Williams up. I'm going to actually go. Yeah. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball though. And I'm going to say Mekhi Becton. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that if he can stay healthy, which is, you know, it's an F, but I do think that he's just going to be, he's obviously a mammoth on that left side of the line, getting Elijah Vera Tucker in there next to him uh, along with the Michael Floor scheme. I think he's primed to have a huge season. And I, I'd say that he's, I'd put money on him being a pro bowl player, if not all pro in uh, in his second season. Wow. That's, I mean, I, he was also under consideration for me. It's just the health is the only thing. Yeah. But honestly, I know that he posted that video of him working out. And then so I'm bench pressed like 370 yesterday. The man is taking his health seriously. And I'm super mm-hmm. excited to see that. I mean, I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. He seems like a really likable guy. You know, he's been pumping up Zach, which is awesome. You know, you want your guys to go to bat for your quarterback, especially for a guy who's proven nothing in Zach Wilson. So, yeah. I'm so excited for Makai. I just wanted to stay healthy. That's all. That's my only concern. That's because the thing. Who the hell is blocking that man? Even Aaron Donald oh. had trouble against him. He is yep. just a unit. This is like yeah. the best way I could describe him. I'm super excited for back to year two. Yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are great answers. I think my my biggest concern, like you guys said, is Makai staying healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but getting Morgan Moses and, you yes. know, we forget that you still have George Fant who – wasn't great you know but he was okay last year and he has another year under his sleeve and you can slide one of those guys to left tackle if Makai gets hurt but 
you know, Carl Lawson, like you said, who are you going to double, right? And and Quinnen may have a big year because of it. Now he's got Rankins and uh, Franklin Myers, who was like a surprise last year, who everybody just fell in love with because um, he was so effective in a little time that he played. But, you know, it's going to be it's going to be good to see if we haven't had. And I say this all the time. We haven't had a pass rusher as good as Carl Lawson since John Abraham. And yep. that was like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, maybe oh six. Steve, yeah. you were probably twelve the last time. <laughs> oh six I wasn't twelve, but I was a little older than that. But yeah, I get what you mean. No, but yeah, so it, it's finally, finally these are things that we want to see, right? We want to mm-hmm. see all the good quarterbacks, no matter how good they are, when they're <laughs> under duress, when they're under pressure, you know, they can't function normally. So it's good that we have really good bookend tackles to, to, you know, support our guy, you know, and protect our guy. But it's even better to see someone who can get to the quarterback, you know, and, and making it even more difficult is the fact that we have interior D linemen who were really good. And I was afraid after Quinnen's first year that he was going to be another Leonard Williams. Um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. he, he proved last year that he's the real deal. And I'm looking forward to seeing him you know, blossom. It should be exciting, man. Yeah. Every week should be a fight and we should be excited as, as fans. I, I think this defensive line under Sala is something to be really excited about. I mean, Steven, I think you, you know, to your point, you could definitely see a season where Carl Lawson gets 12 or 13 sacks. I think you could also see a season where maybe Carl Lawson maxes out at 10, but then there's like four or five guys that also have five plus five. Yeah. where you're looking yeah. at, you know, Sheldon Rankins, Vinnie Curry, Quinn Williams, and John Franklin Myers that all have five or six sacks plus. Yeah. And, the Jets have a lot of sacks in numbers, but maybe not that one guy that's like, you know, getting uh, 14 or 15 in a season. But I do think uh, definitely of the defense and, and strength of the team is going to be that D line. They're going to just, they're going to unleash hell. If they have, you know, like top five in total sacks as a team, I don't care how many sacks each guy yeah. has. It's just it, hitting the quarterback and getting him down. Please. That's all I ask. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's always just frustrating that we always are just this close, just as close to hitting the quarterback. Right, right, that was right. like Leonard Williams's MO until last year. I know he broke yeah, out finally. I know. I <laughs> made me so angry. It's like now you wanna you wanna hit the quarterback. But uh, you know, and, and what makes it cool good too is that Q is good in the run game too. Like yes. they're a good run <laughs> defense, you know, and they'll probably be better. So not only having a guy who can hit the quarterback, but if the teams want to change it up and start to run the ball, we have good uh, a good second level too. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be exciting, man. I I really want to see Bless Austin and you know Bryce Hall and and mm-hmm. the guys to see how they improve, right? Because we know the the front seven is going to be great, but it's going to it's going to depend on the corners and you know these are young guys, you know, and and they'll they'll do what they have to do within the scheme. I'm sure these are, these coaches are great coaches. They'll they'll design it so it's not that difficult and they just have to do their job. So I'm on, on the defense as a whole, not really worried about it, man. I'm I'm looking forward to it. As long as we're yeah. scoring points, I'm fine with giving up right. points cuz typically right. we couldn't score points. Right. That's why I was getting mad when we gave yeah. up points, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The other team's going to score. We got to be able to score with them, you Yeah. Know? And and I was a Sam Darnold guy, man. I Same. I gotta say, I, I'm a I'm a whoever's on the team guy, right? So I'm like, yeah. okay, we got this top three pick. He was rated, you know, he was a top quarterback coming out of college. We didn't surround him with talent. We gave him a terrible coach, but he showed flashes. And you know, I, I, that ship has sailed. So I have confidence, the utmost confidence in Zach. And I think really, 
it comes down to coaching and putting the best play the players in the best position to win right so these are all talented guys they're the best of the best mm-hmm. you know at this level it's scheme them buying in the coaches you know putting in the players in the best position and then them going out there and executing yeah. you know so i i kind of I'm kind of like when 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 people say, and I think Bob said this on the on the on the pod last week. He was like talent, and I was like, yeah, but everybody's talented in this league, right? And you, there's every year there's a guy who comes out of nowhere and surprises, right? So mm-hmm. if you put these guys in the best position to win and and they have a good scheme, their the team is going to have success. Yeah, no, so that, I I, I believe in all of these guys. Yeah, no, that's it's fair. They're in the NFL for a reason. Right. It's right. like crazy when people have those debates. Oh, can like the team, the worst team in the NFL that year, could Alabama beat them? No, they can't beat them. No. Like yeah. Alabama obviously is NFL players, but right. everyone on that really bad team is an NFL player. So right. it's yeah. and the difference between, you know, certain teams winning and certain teams losing on some football Sundays is like such like crazy things, whether it's like a fumble or something like that. Chris Sims would always say on his podcast, he's like, the difference between a six and 10 team and a 10, six team is so small. And it's just so much luck at that point, because all these guys are talented. All of them are fast. It's like injuries and everything like that. So I I agree with you. These guys are talented, but maximizing that talent with coaching is how you do it. And that's why Belichick's the best. He does whatever he has. He maximizes those guys' strengths and they succeed with him. So we need Sal to take that same approach and make sure that these guys are in the best position to win. So I agree he with you 100. He won with Troy Brown playing corner. Yeah, I was <laughs> just about to say that. I was you know, like, guys out of position. You yeah. know, he's he's having guys run routes. You know, yeah. and, and who are defenders. You know what I'm saying? Like, just do the job, play football. He, we have, and that's another thing is that Douglas and Salah were preaching. We want football players. Yes, mm-hmm. players who love to play football, and those guys are willing to do whatever it takes, you know. And and he's bringing in the guys who love to play football and who are football players and will do anything. So, yeah. that's a key, you know, to to winning football. Yeah, I'll only I'll just retract that once because Curtis Martin did not like playing football. He was just really good at it, <laughs> and he's one of the greatest players to ever put on a jet uniform and running backs. You know, like when I first heard him say that, when he like got his Hall of Fame speech, I'm like, Come wow, on. it was just a job to him. He actually yeah. didn't like playing at all. all, right, all it right. seems like he really wanted to do something else in his life. But yes, he with the exception so- of Curtis, because he has a special place in my heart. Yeah, he I want guys who so want much. Football. He ran away from the other team. That's why. No, <laughs> yes, there, there's there's the there's the counter to my argument. Yeah, <laughs> cool. That's great, man. Curtis Martin is one of my favorite people. Man, he's just. The, the, really the best I mean I let me see I wasn't around for Emerson Boozer or any of those guys who were <laughs> and John Riggins maybe but you know I, I I mean I was around Freeman McNeil until Curtis Martin I would say Freeman McNeil was probably mm-hmm. my favorite Jets running back but yeah Curtis Martin yeah. meant everything man I, I know there was a there was that story from uh the 98 season when they signed him or when they traded for him and there were a couple of players in the team I forget who they were I, I want to say one of them was Ray Mickens and he's like you know what are we going out making a move for Curtis Martin like like we didn't have to do that we have a good back in Adrian Morrell and they see Curtis Martin come to one practice and they're like oh okay that makes sense I see I see why we're and it's just he was that type of guy he was that type of difference maker it's just you yeah. could you know when you're around it you know it yeah, yeah, yeah. And Adrian Morrell wasn't that bad. He no, he was a good running back. He was a good player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But don't Curtis remember Martin him. Just Hall of Famer, <laughs> yeah. Hall of Fame player. It's, exactly. 
That's the difference. Cool. Man, so, if we had if we had if we find a Curtis Martin or a Darrell Revis on this team, wouldn't that be oh great? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know? I'm, gl- I'm glad that you bring up Darrell because I want to do a little nostalgia to wrap up the show. I know that's Love typically it. Steven's MO when we do these shows, <laughs> but today is Darrell's 36th birthday, which is crazy to think because I remember when we picked him and trade up for him and I was like, who the hell is this guy? Meanwhile, he turned out to be the best player to ever wear Jets uniform. So let's talk about our favorite moments with Revis because, I mean, the guy was just awesome. And it's just you, I've never seen – like what he can do in his apex, like anybody else. And to me, it like that first, that first home game with Rex when we were playing the Patriots and he had that crazy interception on Moss. I mean, like that was just like the, the place was about to explode. It was like one of, it was the last season of the old stadium, man. And just watching him that whole year, lock up every receiver, like literally they all were in the claps. Like he literally, I think the biggest play was Ted Ginn jr. Who burned them on one play. And that was it. And it was Ted Ginn jr. But like, Every other guy he went up against, it was insane. I mean, I love the guy. It, when he went to the Patriots, I was really upset. I was kind of happy he got a ring, but it, like it just stung so bad because it's just like you were supposed we to do this with that. us. That you never happened. Do- <laughs> <laughs> never well, happened. I wanted the reason why it did happen is because I think he's like in the conversation for you know one of the greatest corners of all time, and having that ring be. definitely. No, he is. But yeah, I'm saying if he yeah, didn't have no that question. ring, it would be a tarnish on him. So I think yeah. him having that ring. You know, it's really hard to debate it. So definitely yeah, want to hear so. your guys' favorite Revis moments as we conclude the show. Lee, I'll, I got two in mind, so I'll let you go. Wow. I I really don't have any. I think just watching him week in and week out um, just shut down every receiver. And Charles Johnson, who was so incredible at the time, he was just shutting guys down left and right. But I think one play that I remember is him. The, the Jets had the Titans uniform. And yeah. might have been playing um, maybe the Cardinals, um, mm-hmm. Arizona, the Cardinals at the time, and him returning a touchdown in those, you know, those beautiful Titan blue uniforms. <laughs> I think that's probably, you know, but every week it, it it was so bad that we were just like, yeah, Revis is going to do what he's going to do. And I kind of took it for granted, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. but just watching him week in and week out was pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. So what do you got, Steven? So the two that I have, uh, the first one, it kind of puts a damper on it just because of the way the season ended. But that 2011 season opener where in the first half, Des Bryant was just eating. And then they matched up Darrell on him in the second half and he completely shut him down. And then they were just going at it all game. And he ended it with a pick to seal the game winning uh, field goal. That one uh, is is a great memory. The other one I'd have to say is is the uh, against the Chargers in the playoffs when he picked the ball off of uh, uh, Vincent Jackson's butt. (laughs) <laughs> you know, bounced off his ass and, and Revis comes up with it. I mean, that game in reality, like that season when we made it to the playoffs, it felt like we were playing with house money. Right. And when they went into San Diego and Revis shut down Vincent Jackson, makes that pick and we we come out victorious in that game. Right. And that felt like, oh, man, this is this is real. We could actually right. do it. Right. And that kind of was the the cap off to the most the, the most unbelievable season I've ever seen on, uh, out of a corner from Darrell. Yeah. That 2009 season. I mean, he had six yeah. picks in the in the regular season, two in the playoffs. Uh, I remember one against Ocho Cinco in the, in the first round, the one against Vincent Jackson in the second, it's that cap, the, the greatest season I've ever seen from a, from a corner. It's a sin still to this day that you didn't get that uh, defensive player of the year. I was really about to say memo yeah. to anyone who had a vote that year Seriously. did the wrong thing. Absolutely. Congratulations to Charles Woodson, Hall of Fame yeah. player, all, all due respect. <laughs> As Mark Jackson wow. would say, hard, but, hard to vote against one of the greats, but yeah. Darrell you know was, what? was it's one because of the he got interceptions. 
he did not do the things that Revis was no. doing. Nobody, like honestly, Richard Sherman. I know they, there's a, they've had their beef. He actually would shut guys down in his apex. Right. But like most guys, who people think of good corners, they make like a lot of ball hawking plays. Like Marcus Peters is one of those guys. Like he gets a lot of picks, especially, and he's exciting. But he gets burned all the time. Nobody was getting around Darrell. No. He just not only he just physically and mentally, he just knew everything they were going to do. Right. He followed their routes. It was it was just he was playing another game. It was like a, it was. Just, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. And <laughs> and you you bring up some great corners, but. We had Antonio Cromartie, right? Yes, Who as the number is a two. Phenomenal athlete, one of the best athletes, one of the best athletes I think I've ever seen on the Jets. We Darrell Revis made him look so average. Oh, we yes. thought that he was getting cooked every week. <laughs> <laughs> he got no, picked on. True. He would get picked on just because he was opposite of Darrell. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the only reason. Otherwise, he was fantastic, but we were like, this fucking guy, Antonio Cromartie, is getting cooked again. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a funny quick story we I could wrap up about Cromartie. So my cousin lived in the same town as Cromartie that season when he was on the Jets. And he I guess he did something one week. My cousin was really young and he wrote like a whole like letter to him in his mailbox just saying how much he sucked. And my cousin was like 10 years old at the time. <laughs> Shout out, Jason. I know you'll love it. I shared that story. <laughs> uh, I would love oh. to see that letter, man. That'd yeah. be so great. <laughs> I probably I bunch I had of it. misspelled words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Lee, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate having yeah. you on. Thank love that you, background. Man. I feel like you got to use it all the time now. Um, I, I will. I will. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. This was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you guys and uh, looking forward to seeing more episodes and see you guys do some of the things that we were talking about earlier, man. It's exciting. And uh, on behalf of all Jets fans, thank you for the connection to the team and and being able to hear a fan's perspective. And you guys got some insight. So keep going, man. Thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah, Lee. guys, make sure you follow Lee on Twitter. He's hilarious. He's got great takes on all of his teams and he makes a lot of videos as well. So, Lee, you want to drop your handle for everybody? It's Leo Valentin. It's uh, at, at Leo Valentin on Twitter and uh, LeeValentin.com. If you, you're in the city and you like comedy, you know, come out to some shows. You know, we got shows. I got I'm up every weekend. So it'd be good to see some fans out there supporting me, too, man. So. Yeah, Look definitely. forward to seeing you guys out there, man. Cool. And like I always say every week, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, to the Turn On Jets podcast feed, as well as the Badlands feed. Pay that $5. I'm telling you it's worth it. You got to hear that docuseries about Zach Wilson next month. And make sure you get your Badlands merch. Take care, everybody. Thanks.